And we are going to get into God's Word this morning. You can open your copy of God's life-giving Word to the book of Nehemiah. We'll be in chapter 3. And as you turn there, I want to welcome our guest. If you are new, somewhat new to Redemption Hill, welcome. We are so glad that you worship with us, joining us online. Uh, We would love for you to download our church app and uh, get to know us, fill out our connect card so that we can get to know you. Um, our kids are on their way as always. Thank you kids for uh, blowing through my missed uh, invitation for you to go upstairs. So uh, kids have a great time at Redemption Kids. Uh, but we're so thankful that, that each one of you are here today and we are confident that God has something great in store for you today. Uh, this Sunday is also Super Sunday. That only means that it's the Super Bowl, and uh, there is a very important team missing in tonight's matchup, but we won't uh, cry about that today. Uh, but, but it is also a time where we gather non-perishable items to serve and love our community. So uh, thank you to everyone who brought something in. Can we give it up for everyone who brought something? Hey, like it was important, like they did something great, all right? Let's like, can we give it up? All right, that's better. (laughs) Um, And if you like kind of did the golf clap, you're like, oh man, I forgot my stuff. Listen, don't worry, all right? Uh, We will celebrate loud for you next week when you bring your items next week, or you can just go to our app, to our giving option, and you can click Hunger Fund. And whatever is given today or this week, uh, we'll know that is going to stock the micro pantry that we're going to be placing outside of our community center in Medford Square. So uh, thank you for for joining us. Thank you for contributing uh, today. Well, uh, last weekend, I I missed John's excellent uh, sermon in person. Uh, I caught it uh, on the, the replay podcast Monday morning. Uh, but that's because we were in Florida. Marsh and I traveled uh, to Florida to a church there. Uh, we were invited to share at their leadership development for future missionaries there locally and uh, maybe you know those that want to start churches in North America and even be sent out around the globe to let people know about Jesus all over the nations. And uh, we were really excited to go down and serve some of our friends and to serve their uh, leadership sending pipeline. And uh, when we were on our way down, uh, we had, you know, just a a wonderful experience in the air. Uh, Maybe you've experienced this before when you're traveling at 37,000 feet and the the cabin, you know, dings the little warning sign. And and then you hear the captain, you know, this is the captain. Uh, We're about to hit some turbulence. uh, So just be prepared. Might get a little bumpy, you know. And in in full disclosure, uh, Pastor Tanner, I'm really, you know, save a few rare occasions when it's really turbulent. Like, I'm good with turbulence. I'm okay. It's like, been here before. We're going to get a little bounced around, but it's okay. But my wife, on the other hand, okay, she goes into full silence mode, okay? It's like, she's not saying anything. She's grabbing the armrest. She's praying like her life depends on it. And this is what's going on. And it was, it was rather bumpy. I mean, we were being tossed around to the point you're like grabbing your drink, you're like trying to not put it over your book you're reading or whatever. And, and you know, I expected my wife to kind of endure as she endured uh, on our descent down the turbulent uh, atmosphere. But I did not expect Jackie from the South Shore, who was moving to Tampa, to mutter multiple, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and then to feel her nails pierce into my forearm as she was experiencing the turbulence. Now, listen, I, I just, like, I'm like, what is, this is a first time experience for me. And, you know, it just, it just dawns on me. This probably wasn't the time to offer this reflection to my wife, but I just kind of, I'm kind of cracking up to myself. Don't judge me, all right? I'm kind of cracking up myself. I was like, Marcia, isn't it funny what human beings do when we feel like our life is threatened? What is my forearm going to do for Jackie at 37,000 feet in the air? You know, it's just like, wow. Uh, but, you know, thankfully we, we made it down. Uh, we made it to the Tampa Clearwater area and we had a great uh, weekend. But as you know, we all face turbulence in life. We all get bounced around by the things that swirl around us. You know, another, another uh, displeasing dynamic of air travel is what is known as headwind. Okay, so I just want you to see this. This is uh, my son, my three-year-old son, Titus, his little, this, this, 
plane. I think it like costs four bucks. It really like I could throw it probably to the upper section. We'll do that right now. But it is like it's legit. And uh, so so when when you're traveling somewhere, what you want is not headwind that comes into the flight path and slows the plane down. But what do you want? You want you want tailwind, right? Because tailwind will propel you to travel faster. I was fascinated on the way home. You know, sometimes I'm not, I'm usually reading my Bible, another book, or I'll just check the flight, you know, status tracker. And so I just, you know, I've read, I've kind of done my thing. And so I checked the flight status tracker and it says that we are traveling at 520 miles per hour with a tailwind of 141. So you do the math, that's 661 miles per hour we are flying. And I, yes, make the mistake, hey, Marsha, guess how fast we're going because of the tailwind. It's just like, I am not a fast learner, but, um, but that's, you know, how our, our trip went. Uh, but, but, but again, we face turbulence in life. We face headwind in life. And this is what we see in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is doing a great work for God, and any time, listen, any time you engage in a great work for God, this is what you need to know. You are signing up for turbulence and headwind. We see this throughout the book of Nehemiah, and I want to really highlight this because I know, as you know, the last two years of living has been a lot of experience. We are becoming professionals in learning how to experience headwind. COVID has delivered massive doses of headwind. Relational isolation, headwind. Mental health challenges that have been like on us like an assault from all of the circumstances around us, headwind. Political polarization and increasing division, headwind. And all of this headwind is disrupting our marriages, the mental health of children, and yes, let me say, the mission of God. And so what we need to decide is, will we let the headwind slow us down? Will we let the headwind stop us? Or are we going to say, like Nehemiah, listen, there may be some headwind, but I am doing a great work, a great work that he says in 2.12, God has put into my heart, and I am not going to let a little bit of headwind stop me or stop us. This is the invitation for us to consider today. We have to decide in the great work that God has called us to if we're going to let headwind stop us. The all-important question of the hour for us today is this, what will stop us? What will stop us? And this is more than rhetorical for you just to consider for a couple of you know, seconds, but I really want you to wrestle with this question. I want this question to sink down deep into your soul because I know as we're going to see as we move through this, there is going to be all kinds of opposition and headwind as you seek to live your life for God and be about his mission. So you better decide right now what's gonna stop you. If Nehemiah could come here today and he could share a word of encouragement, he would tell us out of a deep reservoir of conviction and personal experience of the favor and the faithfulness of God, listen, let nothing stop. Let nothing stop what God is putting into the heart. That's what we see in chapters three and four. Nehemiah calls us to believe and to live in such a way that nothing will stop what God has put in our hearts to do for him in his kingdom. And so I hope you're ready to work through these two chapters as we break them down. I want to give these two chapters to you in the form of three declarations that I hope you will take and you will say and you will speak, not just today, but as we journey forward over the next years and decades as the people of God known as Redemption Hill Church. All right, so number one, here's the first declaration. Own it, say it, if you like it, if you believe it, all right? We will not be stopped by heroic individualism. 
all right? We will, we will not be stopped by heroic individualism, all right? Let's just, let's just keep it real, all right? We try to keep it real at Redemption Hill. So if you were reading Nehemiah in your like Bible reading plan, maybe you started a new Bible reading plan this year and you were to read the first two chapters, like, man, there's some good stuff here. Nehemiah's praying, he's talking to the king, the king's giving the green lights. Like there's a lot of great action in chapters one and two. But you get to chapter three and you start like doing a quick skim and you see all of these names that you cannot pronounce and it's like name after name after name and place after place after place. And you're probably thinking like, oh wait, the, the header says rebuilding the wall. They're rebuilding the wall, chapter four, right? It's like, has anyone done that in your body? Like you did that this week. It's okay, don't feel bad because we all do that. I do that sometimes. But listen, listen, listen. We need to really pump the brakes and consider what chapter 3 has to say to us, because listen, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is given by God and it's profitable. All right? So say this is profitable. This is, you didn't know that I was asking you to actually say that, so we're going to give you another chance. This is profitable. Chapter 3 is profitable, and we're going to see why as we move through the chapter. So let me read just the first five verses, all right? Then I'm going to pull out insights throughout the whole of the chapter. This is what Nehemiah 3, 1 through 5 says. Then Eliashib, I told you it's hard, hard, hard names to say, all right? Living proof. Uh, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zechur, the son of Emery, built. The sons of Hesanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. A job they wouldn't have put me on, by the way. Verse 4, and next to them, Merimuth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of Meshezabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. What we have in chapter three is a 360 degree view of the work that is happening around Jerusalem as they start at the sheep gate and then move, the story goes counter, counterclockwise. Okay, this is counterclockwise for me. All right, so counterclockwise all the way around 10 gates in all to the muster gate and all of the spaces in between. And there are so many amazing, important, essential principles that we can learn about what it looks like to not live a life of heroic individualism. Hey, I'm going to do this and it's going to be great and it's up to me and I am the master of my own fate. But no, it's the work of people together united to do the great work that God has called them to. I want to give you six characteristics you're going to need to write fast as I work through chapter three, all right? So what are six characteristics of united people engaged in a great work, all right? Number one, there is an urgent devotion. There's an urgent devotion. We saw at the end of chapter two that once Nehemiah places this compelling vision and invitation out there, it says in verse 18, the people immediately say, let us rise up and build. So now we're moving from chapter two, chapter three, and boom, the work is happening at a great pace. But it's not just an urgent devotion. There's also, there should be a spiritual motivation. When we read verse one, we see this clue when it says, Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. In other words, the priests, the spiritual leaders of the people are also rolling up their sleeves and getting their hands dirty to do the good work of rebuilding the wall. So this shows us that there's a spiritual significance to the work. By the way, if you're doing work that doesn't have spiritual significance, all right, I'll tell you in the language of some professional counselors, all right, stop it. 
Just stop it. And some of you are like, well, wait, I go to my day job and it doesn't seem like, no, that's a lie from the enemy. Okay, if you are going to your nine to five and Jesus isn't all up in there and you aren't serving your neighbor and loving them for the common good, then you need to get a new job. And there are not many jobs in the world that aren't doing some spiritual good to serve other people. So spiritual significance, even verse two says that they consecrated the gate and the doors and as far the wall down as far as the these towers in other words what they are saying is god this work that we're doing this is what we're saying at redemption hill by the way god this work that we're doing this is for you this is for you. we are setting it apart we are saying god this is this wall is it's about you god we're we're, we're putting the effort in we're breaking a sweat for you we want to protect our city because you love our people and you love our city and you, this is all for you. So there's an urgent devotion. There's a spiritual significance. And then we see number three, a shared contribution. And we all need to take a moment to ask the question, listen, will I be an I person or will I be part of a we people? And you may say, well, yeah, I love all people and, you know, I want to be united and I'm not, a, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a hero. I'm not trying to do, you know, all this all by myself. And hey, that's great. But you may say, hey, I'm not an individualist. And yet you may sit on the sidelines and watch everyone else do the work, right? So we have to decide, are we going to be a we people? Are we going to work together? What I love in this chapter, starting in verse two and then picking up some major steam in verse six, it, you'll see this phrase again and again. It'll say, and next to them, and next to them, and next to them, and next to them, and after him, after him, after her, after her, and then, oh, there's some more people, and they're all doing the work, and they're doing it simultaneously. There is a shared contribution. They're working on roughly 40 different areas where repairs need to be done, okay? Gate after gate, section after section, the work is happening and moving forward. And I love this. Alexander Nikolaishin uh, helped me see this in his commentary, all right? He says that the way that chapter three is structured, and I can't help but agree with him, he says that it tells us that the impression here is that each contribution is as significant as every other. Were all of the sections the same length? No. Was, were all of the gates equally important? No, but is the contribution of all equally important? Yes. So it doesn't, listen, it doesn't matter what your role is or what your gift is or how you're serving in the kingdom of God. Listen, we're all in this together. There is a shared contribution that we make together as the people of God, but we do it with a distinct diversity. Yes, I know this sounds like the vision sermon from January 9th, but we need a replay. Because God loves not to just work through one leader, Nehemiah. Yes, we thank you, Nehemiah. You were a great leader. But no, there is all kinds of people involved in the work. What we see here are women and men, young and old, families and individuals. Sometimes people are marked by their occupation. Other times they're marked by their geographic location. But in this, we hear the words of 1 Corinthians 12, 7, once again saying, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Everyone is bringing what they have and they are contributing to the work. And it is a beautiful diversity, but it is a unified people that are after one common goal. That's number four. Number five, we see sacrificial volunteerism, sacrificial volunteerism. We, we see as we read through the chapter that volunteers flocked to Jerusalem from Jericho, verse two, Tekoa, verse five, Gibeon, verse seven, Mizpah, verses 7, 15, and 19, Zenoa, verse 13, Beth Hakarim, Beth Zur, and Keith, 14 through 18. They are coming from all over the surrounding places of Jerusalem to engage in the work. And what we find, we, we have no evidence that says, hey, you know, after they contributed and they all did their part, that, you know, they received their paycheck 
for the time they spent in Jerusalem. There was no probably direct deposit that was dropping into their bank account because of the work that they did. And you say like, well, Pastor Tanner, you can't be so sure about that. Well, I can't be 100% certain, but what I can know is what John taught us last week from chapter five, but they were so broke that they could barely feed their families. Do we really think that they were in it for the, for the Benjamins? Absolutely not. They're volunteering. They're bringing their time and their energy and their skills. And they are saying, God, this work is so important that you've put into our hearts that we will not only volunteer our time, but we will sacrifice the good of our health. And even if it means that we'll risk our lives for the sake of this work. They're sacrificial volunteerism happening. And then number six, if you want to know the final just characteristic, these aren't comprehensive, but it's what we see here in the chapter of people that are united for a great work. We see that there is personal ownership, personal ownership. We have to look closely into the text to see in verse 31 that it tells us after Him, Malachijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the muster gate into the upper chamber of the corner. So what we see here is that people are working in the areas where they lived and worked. And and that should clue us in that like if you, I don't know about you, but if I have to, to look at something every day, I probably am going to bring my best and do my best on that work, right? And so that's what's happening here with the work of the rebuilding of the wall, that there's a personal ownership that's happening. And so listen, as we we think about what God has called us to, as a collective people known as Redemption Hill Church, we should understand that heroic individualism, not only is it wrong, it's actually a mirage. In, in other words, like it's, it's false. It, it may appear that there are a couple few, you know, heroes of the church or the kingdom or whatever, but listen, that is a mirage. It's not true. Every individual that may look like a hero, all right, they have... So many people around them that are, that are oh, wait, that, that, that venue and that AV and that music team waking up early, getting here at 7.30 to set up everything that you see. These are the true collective heroes of the kingdom of God. What about the people who come Friday night to pray when no one is watching, no one's videoing, oh, look who came to pray, okay, pre-service prayer, who's coming to pray? Like, these are the heroes of the kingdom. It's all of us working together. And of course, we know as we really understand the Bible and and the work of God that we just sang about, listen, there's only one hero and his name is Jesus. This is all about him. This is all for him. And so I want to share what T.J. Betts, a scholar on Nehemiah, says about this chapter. He says this about a church. A church A church's greatness is not measured by its size. I'm going to repeat that because I think I should repeat that. A church's greatness is not measured by its size. Does Tanner believe that? I absolutely believe that. But I also believe what's coming next. It is measured by the percentage of people taking responsibility for what Christ has called them to do in his service. You want to know if we're a great church? You want to know if we're a healthy church? We're a Jesus church that's thriving to become all that God has called us to? Just look at the percentage of people that is owning the work and being about the business of Jesus Christ. And so listen, as as we move into a new season, as a church, we'll call it post-pandemic and post-10 years, whatever, I'm not worried about definitions right now, all right, because we're, gonna, we're getting there. Post-pandemic, post we celebrated 10 years as a church family in October, it's a new season. And there's going to be new opportunities. Yes, a new opportunity for all of us to, as we're calling this series, what we see here, build again. There is a great work before us that we get to build again and do it together. But we have to have this collective mindset. This is why our vision focus this year is all about empowerment, not for just one, but for all. 
What is our 2022 vision? This is it. We see a church full, full of people gifted by God's spirit for the good of others. As each person's unique design is discovered, lived, and celebrated with equal excitement, we will collectively take thousands of joyful steps to serve others. And this is part of what it's going to look like. Countless deeds of mercy, kindness, hospitality, healing, teaching, encouragement, and more. What's it going to? It's going to lead to story after story of the supernatural becoming natural and God's love going public in every corner of our church and city. That's what's going to happen. And not only that, we're going to be a church where everyone lives empowered everywhere. We are not going to be stopped by heroic individualism. No, we are going to lock arms, hold hands, hug it out, whatever we have to do to say we are in this together and we are moving forward together. Don't let heroic individualism stop you, but surround yourself with a community of people that are saying Jesus is great and he has given us a great work and mission and we are all about it together as the family of God. So that's number one. But then number two, listen, as we move into chapter four, we see another opportunity to make another declaration. And this declaration would say, we will not be stopped by voices of opposition. We will not be stopped by voices of opposition. Look at chapter four with me. This is what happens as the work is really taking off and they're making great progress. Okay, some people aren't happy about it. And let me just say this, and you can't hear this enough, okay? When you are engaged in a great work for God, okay, you can expect headwind. It's coming. Opposition is coming. This is how it came for Nehemiah and the people. It says this, Now when Sam Ballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of a heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And then his partner in crime, Tobias, speaks up in chapter uh, 4, verse 3, and he says, uh, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on the wall, he will break down their stone wall. And Nehemiah responds with what we've seen so many times already in the book, a prayer in verse 4. He says, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together, look at this progress, to half its height. Why? For the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. More opposition. Verse eight, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us 
So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Once again, we're reintroduced to these two malicious characters, Sanballat and Tobiah. They were probably one, uh, Sanballat was probably a governor of Samaria and, you know, uh, Tobiah was probably his, his servant. And so they are scheming, feeling threatened by Nehemiah and the good work that's happening in Jerusalem to say, hey, we need to slow this work down and we need to stop it with everything we've got. And so they, they come together once they have seen that the work is taking place. Out of anger and frustration and rage, they begin to mock and sarcastically deride the people as they're working on the wall. Here we go. Voices, voices, voices of opposition. It says in verse 1, and two, that Sam Ballot starts provoking others to believe what he believes and to see things as he sees them. And he starts asking these five questions that are all meant to jab at the people of God. He says, what, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive these stones that are nothing more than rubble and, and burnt at that? In other words, the translation is this. Look, look at these weak people. Look at them. They are, they are up to an impossible task. And not only that, they are trying to accomplish an impossible task with the wrong materials. There's no way they're going to get this work done. They're wasting, you're wasting your time. Why don't you come down? Go back and see your family. Care about yourself. You're, you're just wasting all of this time and effort. And then Tobiah, he, he comes in with a decent little shot in verse three. And he says, look, even if a little fox climbs up on your wall, it's gonna crumble to the ground. I mean, this is what's going on for Nehemiah and the people of God. But Nehemiah, as we've seen so many times, he stops and he prays. And he says, look, I, I could try to deal with this on my own, but God, I don't even have the strength anyway. I know you are great. You are the God who is greater and I am gonna keep singing about you. And so I need you to handle this, please. And he prays this prayer. It's a prayer for justice. It's a prayer for God to actually do to them what they plan to do to them. And the, the, the scholars would call this an imprecatory prayer. It's actually saying, God, bring some things that aren't pleasant upon them because not, not, not out of, not out of this, this spiteful evil, but to say, let justice be served and let, this is the point of imprecatory prayers in the Psalms and right here in verses four and five is Nehemiah saying, God, let your name be vindicated. Your name that is higher than every other name. We want your name to be honored and glorified. And so whatever you have to do to stop these wicked people, we are asking you to do it. And oh, by the way, when people have this kind of intention, a lot of times they're not going to stop with like a, oh, would you please be nicer? I'm just, I'm just saying, right? So like God, like, have you ever prayed for someone and it's like, God, please be gracious to them. Please just, you know, nudge them along. These are great ways to pray. We should pray like this, even for our enemies, right? Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies and love our enemies. But if, if people don't get it the easy way, what is best for them is they get it the strong way, right? And so this is, this is actually instructive for us as we learn to pray and cry out to God. So they respond in prayer. And then verse six says, they respond by continuing the work. They're working so hard that the wall is built to half its height. And it says that this happened. I love this phrase. God, make it true of the people of Redemption Hill. Continually and increasingly, the people had a mind to work. We are so about the business of the kingdom of God that we are gonna show up and we are gonna serve and we are gonna sow seeds of the gospel and we are gonna see God do a great work among us. But as this great work is happening, Sam Ballad and Tobiah, 
They're like, man, you know, our, 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 our voices of opposition weren't so effective. So now we're going to plot an attack against Jerusalem that will stop at nothing less than the killing of the people that are doing the work. Verse 8 says they were going to fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion. Verse 11 says their ultimate aim is to sneak up on them and take them out. They are, yes, coming to kill. And so it's little wonder that, you know, first the people of, Jeru of, of, of Israel who hear of their plans are coming from all directions. It's idiomatic in verse 12 where it says that they, they said 10 times return to us. In other words, like people were saying, they're going to come and kill you. Watch out, maybe even stop the work. And yet, they continue. Though they're discouraged in verse 10, beginning to believe the taunts of the enemy, we see as they pray and as they plan to make a protection against their schemes that God delivers all that they need and he moves them forward. He moves them forward. And so listen, if, if you've been a part of God's kingdom work for any length of time, you know that voices of opposition are going to come. And I, I'll be the first to testify and say, look, it's not enjoyable. It's not, it's not fun to, to hear the voices of, oh, you guys this and your church that and you did it, you know, and just over and over. I got to be honest, the last year as a pastor, I have heard more voices of opposition than any time in my decade as a pastor of Redemption Hill Church. And I don't say that to whine. I just say that as I, I feel the pain and I'm saying, God, help me to be like Nehemiah and not stop the work, the great work that you have called me and us to do. And what has helped me more than anything? Listen to this. Always remember when all else fails and you do not know what to do, here's what you do. You go back to Jesus. You go back and you remember who Jesus is because there's been nothing more supportive of my soul than going back and rereading the gospels and seeing what happened to Jesus. And then I start praying, oh, Jesus, they say you had a demon. Jesus, they say you were out of your mind. Jesus, they called you illegitimate. Jesus, they said that the miraculous works that you did, which was the finger of God, was actually the work of Satan. Jesus, they said far worse about you. And oh, Jesus, wait, you were so gracious. You loved us so much that you would tell us in Matthew chapter 10 that we should expect this. Verses 24 and 25 of Matthew 10 say this. Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they call the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? We follow the true and greater Nehemiah. When the voices of opposition come against us and they're sure to come, what do we do? We remember Jesus and we respond with Jesus' grace. And a couple of other things about opposition. We need to learn how to navigate opposition, okay? Number one, we need to remember that God has told us and showed us that behind every voice of opposition is the great opposer of our souls. God has an enemy. His name is Satan. And Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 tells us to be strong in the strength of the Lord and put on the full armor of God. Why? Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the principalities and the powers of darkness in this present evil age. So behind every opposition is the evil one who is trying to slow us down and to stop our work. But even as we remember that, again, we go back and we remember that though we have an opposer, we have a greater advocate in his name. Yes, I brought the flag back out for you. His name is Jesus. And listen, 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 listen. Hey, by the way, by the way, this is the new signal, all right? For, for pastors and staff and church and church members, okay? When the voices of opposition come, here's what we need to do for one another. Do you see that? Did you catch it? What are we? We're hoisting up the flag. 
Because listen, listen, listen. If, if death could not defeat our King and Jesus lives within us, if death couldn't stop him and he is in us, then what can stop us? No headwind, no voice of opposition is gonna stop us from accomplishing the work that God has set before us. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. We will not be stopped by heroic individualism, nor will we be stopped by the voices of opposition. But then finally, and this one is so important, and this one really, really helps us take a look in the mirror, all of us, including myself. Because the third declaration that we must make if we are going to accomplish a great work for God is this, we will not be stopped by faithless hearts. And when I say faithless hearts, I mean our hearts. I mean your heart and my heart. Look at verses 13 through 23 as we wrap up our time in God's word. It says in, starting in verse 14, and I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great, we sing about it, who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies, look at this, when they heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. <laughs> I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us, don't miss this, none of us took off our clothes each kept his weapon at his right hand. Wrestle with this. The greatest threat, the greatest threat to the advancement of the gospel in us and through us is not voices of opposition. It's not even the work of the enemy and all of his demonic minions. The greatest threat to the gospel in us and through us is us. We are the greatest threat to the advancement of the mission of God. And that's why we are saying together today, one another, praying it for one another, reminding one another, talking about it, going back to Nehemiah 3 and 4, okay, is that we will not be stopped by faithless hearts, our own faithless hearts. Because we have a choice. We can either walk by faith or we can walk faithless. We see here what faith looks like. In verse 14, Nehemiah tells the people, I mean, are they afraid? They are being threatened with their lives. Multiple armies are plotting to come against this. Would you be afraid? Absolutely. 
And Nehemiah says, do not be afraid. I have a really good friend. I think we're going to commission him in just a little bit that we've gone through so many, you know, trials and storms and headwind over our 10 years, 12, 13 years of planning and no money. How are you going to move to Boston? You ain't got any money. You can't start a church. Oh, don't go to Boston, man. That's the church planter's graveyard. You don't want to go there. That'll never work. You meet people. Oh, that's going to be tough. You know, I mean, I hope it goes well for you, but it's really going to be tough. Churches don't make it around here. And it's like, you know, and, and, and what is John? always tell me dnf i mean that's code we just have acronyms now it's like dnf we go through a difficult time or conversation whatever dnf do not fear do not dnf do not fear. and then and then we just got the second one lmf let's move forward like do not fear let's move forward do not fear let's we need people in our life to remind us don't fear. God is in control. What? We see it here. Faith building prayer. We remember the Lord. That's where faith comes from. You want to live a life of faith? Here's the, here's the recipe. Remember the Lord. The Lord is great and awesome. We look to you, God, and we remember how great you are and that you are the God that I love this, that, that God has a sneaky way, a sneaky way, very sneaky of exposing the plots and plans of our enemies. It says it in verse 15 that, that the enemies heard that God had frustrated their plan and they all returned to the work. Nehemiah and the people were responding full of faith. They, their faith reveals this unstoppable resolve in their hearts. Just got a couple minutes for you to see this. Look at verses 16 through 18. It says here that they're working on the wall and they're, they've got their mortar. Okay, they got their stone. They got their trowel. Okay, that little flat, you know, you know a tool that presses the mortar in between the stones so that they all stick together. All right, I'm not a mason, but that's how you do it. Okay, and they got their trowel in one hand and they got what? A sword in another to say, we're going to keep building, but if we have to throw down and defend ourselves, we're going to defend ourselves and protect our homes and our city. So, so that's, that's decent resolve. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty decent resolve. But then we go on in verses, you know, uh, 19 and 20, and it says they devise a strategic plan. Strategic plans are really, really good under the sovereign plan of God to say, hey, listen, you know, we have some weaknesses here and, you know, we're all spread out, but we need to all keep working on our sections. So, so here's our solution. If the enemy attacks on the east side, the trumpet blows on the east side, and we're all rushing to the east side to protect and fight for one another and as we fight, we know what our God will fight for us. Underline verse 20. Our God will fight for us. This is what Moses said in Exodus 14. This is what David said in 1 Samuel 17. We know and follow and love the God of Moses, the God of David, the God of Nehemiah, the God, yes, Jesus Christ himself. And then we see in verses 21 through 23, look at, look at their commitment. Look at, look at verse 21. It says, they worked as long as they had light. That's how about the work they are. Verse 22 says that they, though they live miles away from Jerusalem and they weren't seeing their families and they weren't tending to their own fields at the cost of their own livelihood and financial security, they are staying in the city to defend the city. And if that's not enough, verse 23 says that Nehemiah and his brothers and everyone with him, it says that they slept in their clothes with their weapons at their right hand. They are laying it all on the line. They are not withholding anything from God and the work that he has called them to do. And so redemption, hell, listen. I'm asking you today. I'm asking you today, whether you are here at Medford High School, home, online, catch it on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, the month of March, whenever you hear this sermon, I'm asking you today to decide what will stop us. Will you say with me, we will not be stopped by heroic individualism. We will not be stopped by voices of opposition. We will not be stopped, God help us, by our own faithless hearts. But we will keep coming to you when the headwind comes and we will say, God, you are my strength. 
God, you are, yes, what? You are my tailwind, Holy Spirit. And you are going to keep pushing us forward for everything that you have for us and through us. And so just listen to this. Listen to this vision that we've crafted as a staff team. Shared it on Vision Sunday. I'm going to keep sharing it. We're going to keep uh, thinking about it and praying on it as a church family. Listen, this, this is part of the great work that God has called us to. And I hope when you hear it and you read it, your heart beats a little bit faster and you say, hey, I want to be a part of that great work because this is a great work. What is it? We see a multiplication movement spreading across greater Medford because there are 755,000 people within five miles and every single one of them needs a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. They're restlessly waiting, whether they realize it or not. They're restless and they're looking for all of these things and money and work and all that's going to satisfy, but nothing satisfies except the one who made us, God himself. So we're going to be fueled by our pursuit of God and filled with his spirit to make disciples who urgently lead others from spiritual apathy to abundant life in Christ. And then we're going to start seeing our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends at the coffee shop. All right, we're going to see them taste true freedom and joy. It's going to fill living rooms, classrooms, and conference rooms. And ultimately by 2030, we're going to see at least three new churches and dozens of new groups cover the map. But we already know, all right, we already know that this vision will come alive only through bold prayer and action, and we will impact lives from New England to the nations. I'm just asking you, are you on board with this today? And if you're on board with this today, will you say, hey, nothing's gonna stop us. We're signing up to say, God, whatever it is that you want for us and from us, that we are ready to follow you and move into the unknown with this kind of vision to love the people around us and love our city too. Jesus Christ, let's pray together. Father, I ask that in these moments, maybe that you would, yes, bring individual plans and dreams to our minds of work that you've called us to do, passions, particular passions that you've given us to see heaven touch earth in the kingdom of God advance in our day. But God, right now, most of all, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit to believe these words that we've read about. Lord, that when you put a work in our hearts, we would say, listen, we are doing such a great work that we are not going to let anyone or anything stop us because God, you are with us. And God, you fight for us. And so God, would you fill us with faith right now? Would you fill us with faith to be the people you have called us to be, to do the work that you have called us to do? Lord, we know it will never happen without you. And so we look to you and we expect that you are going to give us all that we need to do all that you've called us to do. Please do what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.